science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it wow. out. I it was that tall. golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker. Eliz Neely will be back to introduce next week's episode, but in the meantime, this week we're presenting stories about making impressions. Our first story today is from Fong Tran. It was recorded in March 2020 at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The theme that night was Brains, Brains, Brains. I'm going to start off with something I don't want to tell y'all. Uh, something I'd rather keep private, which is... Two years ago, when I moved to New York, it was really, really, really easy. Uh, I already had friends uh, here. Uh, when I looked for a job, I actually found one right away. Uh, it was the digital consultancy. So, so yeah, when a, when a company has a problem with an app or a website, they come to us, and then we go over and try to fix it. Um, ooh, the secret is, Nine out of ten times, it's not the app, it's the people. Uh, but, shh, yeah. And, and another thing is when I got here is like, I turned on the dating apps and I changed the location and I matched with someone and I went out with someone and we clicked. We clicked like right away. Um, it, it was really just great. Uh, <laughs> No, it was. Because, so, I, I've lived in Minnesota, I've lived in Texas, I've lived in LA. And a bad date is a bad date in any city. But I realized that a great date in New York is magical. It kind of opens up, you wander the streets, you're sharing stories. Um, oh, she mentioned that she loves ice cream. We turned the corner and there was an ice cream shop. In LA, you don't even get to the corner because she, they already ghosted you. Uh, <laughs> And so I just lucked out. It was just really good. We connected. We talked well. And then I promptly went to Pittsburgh. Um, and I went to Pittsburgh because of my new job. So sometimes the companies are not in New York, and if they're in a different city, you have to go to that city. And I was nervous for two things. One was the job. Like, you know, I'm going to be in a random place. Can I, can I do this job well? Or am I going to, you know, fuck up? Um, and the second thing was her and I, because we were just starting out and it felt kind of fragile, um, especially I'm going to be not in the same city. But to my surprise, we talked about it and we we're both cautiously optimistic. I mean, we live in this modern era. We have phone calls and texting and DMs and Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. Um, surely we can make this work. Uh, so... I get to Pittsburgh, and I'm checking out the city, and it's okay. I'm checking out the client, and it's okay. And her and I were feeling it out, and it actually goes really well. Uh, we're in that early stage of that kind of honeymoon, you know, teenage kind of like part where like you're really excited to share stories and, and then talk to each other. So we're like, we're in that phase where we're sending like four or five, six texts at a time. And I'm kind of a dork, so I send in bullet points. So, um, no, no. so, uh, oh, what's a good thing? Oh, yeah. Uh, bullet point number one. 
I'm good. How are you? Uh, bullet point number two, that tie place looks great. Let's go. Uh, bullet point number three, I like the Met, but I might like the MoMA better. Um, bullet point number four, oh, he sounds just like my cousin who's trying to be a social media influencer, but I think he's just stress eating at expensive restaurants. Uh, and, and she would send four or five texts back, and it's just, it's fun, it's cute, it's cute in that gross way, but you know, you're in it, so it's great. Um, and eventually, the project wraps up, you know, a couple weeks go by, and I'm back in New York, and we're just back in the flow. Um, we're going to museums, restaurants, bars, parks, the whole thing. And maybe it was the summer, maybe it was her, but I was feeling so good that I'm thinking about popping the question. The big question. Um, so one day, we're, it's a nice day. We're laying in bed. She has her iPhone. I have got my iPad. And, you know, modern romance. And, um, and I turn to her and go, can I ask you a question? And she puts on her phone. She turns to me and goes, yeah. And I go, I think you and I, we together, I think, I think together we should try Slack. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, if, if, if you don't know what Slack is, it falls underneath the category of productivity software. Um, it, 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 uh, it's as if the, the chat rooms from the 90s came back from the dead and came back in a nice corporate suit. Um, and, and yeah, for companies that have trouble communicating, I actually recommend this as a consultant. Like, because you get all your employees in one place, and then you all build up all these different chat rooms in one place. And in theory, nothing will get lost and be more organized because it's all in Slack. So you can see why I'm proposing, choice of words, to her, this idea. Um, because as much as I love talking to her, we have the phone calls over here, the texts over there, the DMs over there. It's like, let's bring in one place. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like waiting for, I'm waiting for her answer. Like, uh, I'm just like, you know, we're in bed. And she, she takes a moment, she looks at me, and she goes, sure, makes sense. And my heart is a flutter. It's the three words I've always wanted to hear. Uh, so I start a Slack account, she jumps on, I jump on, and that's when the magic happens. It is so, uh, so she wants to talk about movies, chat room called movies. Uh, I have some books uh, I want to talk about. Uh, chat room books. Uh, you find a list of restaurants you want to try? Hashtag food. It is so great. And, and it's not just all fun and games, though, because we're also a couple who are building a connection. We're, we're, we're sharing more. So we're now starting to share our hopes and our dreams and our fears. And that doesn't go in movies or food or books. So uh, we start, obviously, start a new ch channel called Serious Talk. And it is clicking. It is feeling so good. I'm a, I'm a techie dude. She's into Slack. It feels like I have solved dating. Uh, uh, and everything else is going really well, too. Um, so that, that, that client in Pittsburgh, they actually extended the project, and they want me to come back, which just is feeling, it just validates. You're just like, you're feeling good. So uh, I pack my bags. Um, before I leave, I actually sneak a pint of ice cream into her freezer. That is my version of a bouquet of flowers. Um, uh, airport, 
hotel, check-in, get the Wi-Fi, very important. And once I get settled, I notice there's a notification on my phone. And I tap on it. And it's, oh, it's from her. It's on Slack. Uh, oh, it's in serious talk. And I read it over, and it turns out she's feeling a little uneasy about all this travel that I'm doing. And I go, got it. So we hop on the phone. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's a long conversation. But this is good. This is what I wanted. We are we're taking the thoughts inside our heads, putting it out there, and we're working it through together. And I'm not going to lie to you. We, we, we don't get to 100%, but we get to a decent place. A decent enough place that we start a new channel called Toronto Trip Planning. Um, there's a film festival there. We're both like, let's do it. Uh, and then we start putting Airbnbs. We start picking the movies we want to see in there. It's so great, guys. You really should do it. Um, and <laughs> but but I'm not gonna lie. At this point, I'm I'm really busy with work, so I'm kind of in and out. I'm not quite there. And a few days later, she notices and she posts. She calls me out on it. She call, she posts in serious talk. She's like, "Hey, get your head in the game." And I'm like, "You're right. I haven't been there. I'm sorry. I'm gonna work on this." Um. But it gets easier, though, because after a while, Pittsburgh wraps up, all good, and I head back to New York. And it's easier when you're face-to-face, -face, and we kind of are in a groove, and we're hanging out again. But it's still kind of on our mind, so we keep talking about it, you know, just like, look, I, she asked me, like, the next project, when's the next project? And I was like, I don't know. I might be here. I might be there. I just don't know. I can't, I can't honestly give you an answer of how much more there's going to be. But let me tell you this. I'm here right now, you're here right now, we're here together. Uh, and at the time, I really meant those words. Um, it was, I met someone who I want to see the world with, someone I want to work for problems with. This is what I want. But something that I'm still learning about myself is the distance from my head to my body can be really far apart. So my head was telling me this. This is a really good person. This is, there's a lot of good things going on. But my body, last couple of weeks, had been tense. Um, you know those animals in those experiments when like, they touch the liver and like, a food pellet comes down? But then the next day, they switches it up, so when they touch the same lever, it's an electric shock. Every time my phone buzzed or lit up, I wasn't sure whether it was in movies or books or food or in serious talk. And I started feeling a little antsy about it. But I told myself, I'm pushing through. This is a good thing. This is worth fighting for. This is worth doing. And I kept saying this, and I really believed it. But what I hadn't noticed was the ratio of time we spent doing things and experiencing things was slowly being pushed smaller and smaller by the time we spent talking and discussing about things that we did or didn't do or should have done or would have done. But I kept wanting to push through. I kept, this is, this is the thing. This is the one thing I wanted. And I really genuinely wanted that up until the moment my head matched up with my body. And that would turn out to be our last night. And I have to tell you, it was really hard. It was hard because it's one more. Because it was ugly. It was mean. And it was cruel. 
But what's actually harder is because that moment, it obscured all the good times we had, all the memories, all the afternoons we spent napping in each other's arms. It, it just pushed all that aside. And there's a really bad irony to the thing that we had all these way of, ways of communicating each other, calling, video, messaging, all these things. But because we ended in such a way, my feelings of how much I cared for her would never reach her. So, if y'all would allow me two more bullet points. <laughs> bullet point number one, thank you to her. Despite everything, I still cherish and appreciate all that we had together, and it was great. And bullet point number two, thank you all for listening, and have a good night. That was Fong Tran. Fong is a creative technologist at a digital consultancy. He works on websites and applications as both a designer and a developer. As someone with a preference to dabble in a short attention span, he works on art projects and various mediums. The projects tend to ask questions about our relationship to our digital selves and overall how that changes how we see each other. Also, at other times, it's just about food Fong ate. <laughs> Thanks so much, Fong. StoryGlider is hard at work right now to ensure that we are able to continue bringing you true personal stories about science throughout the pandemic. So we're taking this Friday and next Friday off from our online shows, and we're keeping discussions on the podcast pretty brief. I hope that soon we'll be able to share some of our plans with you. In the meantime, if you go to storyclider.org, you can still watch the playback of our 10-year anniversary live show from last week. And we'll continue to be bringing you stories on this podcast every Friday. Our next story today is from Sufyan Zimikoff. It's recorded in February 2020 at Beer Baron Tavern in Washington, D.C. The theme that night was power. One weekend in 2001, I found myself alone at home thinking, I enjoy being alone. I'm a self-sufficient introvert. <laughs> and I felt happy. <laughs> then I thought, who am I kidding? I don't really enjoy being alone. I'm just uncomfortable around people. And I felt unhappy. <laughs> Back then, I often switched from euphoria to depression. I published my first book before I turned 30 years old, and I was extremely happy for a week. <laughs> Everyone must admire me, I thought. I am the youngest author in the history of our Department of History. But then I fell into depression. Who cares if I wrote a book? I, am, I have the smallest salary in the history of the Department of History. <laughs> and uh, my department chair dislikes me. And it always made me extremely unhappy when somebody disliked me. That's when I came up with the idea 
of a self-research project which I titled The Study of Dislikable Me. <laughs> I created uh, a table with nine columns where I listed all people I knew and some animals. <laughs> according to how they made me feel. <laughs> I called the first uh, column True Love, and I put there only one name, Eli, which was the name of my girlfriend's dog. <laughs> Eli was the only creature in the world who made me unconditionally happy. And I titled the last column, Enemies, and also put their one name, Boris, my department chair. <laughs> A man with ugly wrinkled face. <laughs> Boris made me so unhappy that I sometimes thought, I can't believe God created Boris in his own image. What a wonderful world it would be with fewer Borises and more Elis in it. <laughs> so I started my research with Eli, a cute white cockapoo. Every time I visited my girlfriend, Eli would run toward me, wiggling his fluffy tail. And it made me happy that someone was so excited to see me at my girlfriend's apartment. <laughs> A couple of minutes later, however, Eli would lose his interest in me and indifferently walk away. And uh, his attitude changed so abruptly that I always thought, did I do something wrong? Trying to understand Eli's behavior, I uh, recalled how, uh, as a child, I used to get excited when my parents had guests because I expected that the guests should bring me presents. And I got disappointed when they didn't. This explains Eli's behavior, I thought. I never remember bringing him gifts. And he probably thinks, you moron, would it hurt you to bring me a treat? <laughs> and uh, that's uh, how I discovered the root of my problem. I was putting thoughts into the dog's head while there would be no way for me to know what the dog was thinking. More importantly, uh, I realized putting judgmental thoughts into Eli's head, I made myself feel unhappy. So I applied uh, my discovery to uh, all other people uh, in the table, starting with the second column, which I called lovables and where I listed my best friends, my parents, and my girlfriend. <laughs> one by one, I analyzed uh, uh, how I was putting uh, judgmental thoughts into people's heads around me. Uh, and uh, I uh, could see that uh, more I thought uh, they judged me, uh, more uh, I was afraid that they disliked me. It was truly a humbling self-research. Uh, I thought uh, at the end, 
who do I think I am that nine columns of people and animal would constantly think about me and judge me? <laughs> Finally, I approached the last ninth column with uh, Boris, my, uh, my department chair and the ugly wrinkled man. Uh, I remembered how I learned about his, hosti his hostility uh, thanks to an older colleague uh, of mine, Yuri, uh, who was uh, Boris's rival for department chair position. Uh, I want to warn you, young man, uh, told me one day, uh, Yuri, kind of arrogantly, uh, that our department chair is making unflattering comments behind your back. I suspected Yuri was not my biggest fan either. <laughs> and that's why I put him in the eighth column, <laughs> which I titled Ill Wishers, <laughs> together with half a dozen of others. However, uh, while uh, looking into Yuri's case, I realized uh, that uh, he probably didn't care about me positively or negatively at all. And that's why I moved him to the uh, seventh column, which I called indifference. So uh, while uh, reviewing uh, Boris's case, uh, I also uh, failed to find any real ev evidence of his hostility. And uh, I realized that I never personally heard of him saying anything against me. And I decided to uh, temporarily move him from enemies to ill-wishers until I find evidence of his hostility. <laughs> Instead of finding evidence of his hostility, however, next time uh, when I ran uh, uh, him at work, I surprised myself by saying, hi. <laughs> and Boris surprised me by saying, we need to talk about your promotion because you published a book. And uh, for the first time standing so close to Boris, I observed his wrinkles actually make him look wiser and kinder. <laughs> I'm still not sure how that happened. <laughs> my self-flattering theory is that uh, my study of dislikable me made me in general friendlier and uh, that made Boris subconsciously to like me. My unflattering th uh, explanation is that I only imagined Boris being evil and ugly while in reality, he always was friendly and handsome. <laughs> so my uh, self-research, uh, uh, the study of dislikable me, actually had practical outcome. I stopped having uh, depression since then, and I started enjoying being around people. And I never again forgot uh, to bring treats for Eli as a kind of thank you for helping me to discover the roots of my problem. And sometimes I even brought treats for Boris and Yuri.
That was Sufyan Zimikoff. Sufyan is an award-winning author and performer. He received the 2020 J.J. Renault Emerging Artist Award from the National Storytelling Network and is a Moss Lamb champion. His recent solo show, Flirting Like an American, received critical acclaim in Washington, D.C. and Rochester, New York. His recent book, Mass Religious Ritual and Intergroup Tolerance, won the 2019 Best Book Award at the International Studies Association. StoryClider is grateful for Fong Tran and Sufyan Zimikoff. StoryClider is also grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. StoryClider is led by me, Artistic Director Aaron Barker, and Executive Director Liz Neely, with help from Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Support Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's episode were from shows produced by Nissa Greenberg, Zach Stovall, Miriam Zaringhollum, and Shane Hanlon. The podcast is edited by our podcast team, including Jun Chen and Gwen Hogan. And the theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Le Poisson Rouge and Beer Baron Tavern for hosting these shows, and to everyone out there struggling to make an impression in Zoom conference calls. I feel your pain. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.